Thank you, Deborah. Uh, Sam, it's great to be here with you today. I always look forward to our time together in the Word. Would you join me, please, as we open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. We are at verse 1 in Genesis in chapter 5. While you're doing that, get the bulletin out, turn it over, get a pencil or a pen. We'll take a few notes as we go along this morning. As we read through these early chapters of Genesis, one thing sticks out, and it's God's stubborn persistence to bless his people. He just won't give up. He won't give up. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm glad about that. I've done a lot of things in my life that should have caused the Lord to give up on, and he just refuses. Uh, and so I love these stories that remind us of how persistent God's love really is. Look at verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's life. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Now, this is a major break in the narrative. We've been going along for three chapters, and it's almost as if everything starts over again here. There's a heading, uh, and it tells us that this is the, um, the generations of Adam. We've already learned uh, about God's creation of the heavens and the earth and how he made all of the life, the plant life and the animal life, and that the, uh, the culmination, the climax of his creation was to make humanity, male and female, Adam and Eve. And we read about uh, the blessing that they had in the garden. Things were good. Uh, uh, they had a, a great environment, had a great job, they had an easy religion, they had a wonderful marriage. Everything was perfect. Uh, and yet they chose to disobey God. And uh, since everything changed at that point, they were expelled from the garden. They had to live outside of God's blessing, although God didn't give up on them. They had children, and, and that was a sign that God was going to continue on with his program. But then two of those boys grew up, Cain and Abel, and one killed the other one. It was a reminder that something was wrong, desperately wrong. And then we read of the fact that Cain's, uh, Cain's sons and, and descendants uh, really just kind of wander away from God and, and get involved in the things of the world and uh, a lot of the things that they do are very interesting. Uh, they came up with music and poetry and uh, metallurgy and, and husbandry and, and, and a lot of different things, and they began to build cities. But they had forgotten about God. They had faded away from God. And here in chapter 5, the narrator, who is God, he sort of restarts the narrative. He comes back, back to Adam. And back to Adam and Eve, and he reminds us of some of the things that have happened in the very beginning. He says, God created them in the likeness, in his likeness. Now, we read about this way back in chapter 1, but we're, we're being reminded here that uh, that is what God had done, uh, that he had made them in his likeness according to his image. Back in chapter 1, when we asked the question, what does that mean? Part of the context tells us that uh, they were to subdue and rule over the earth. And so in the same way that God subdues and rules things, uh, we have been given that blessing from him to rule and to subdue the earth. Here, that's not mentioned. This chapter is going to focus on a different part of the blessing of being created in his image. Look at verse 2. He created them male and female. And he blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. 
there is a, um, I made somebody really unhappy. I didn't mean to do that. Should be all right. That's it. I know, I need to hurry up. Everybody will be squawking in here. There's a play in words that happens throughout these couple of chapters uh, the, in the Hebrew, it's Adam. And it's different translators do different things with it. Uh, is it Adam? Is it man? Is it humanity? And every time you read one of those words in the NIV in those two verses, underlying that is Adam, just that same ancient Hebrew term. And so Adam, in a sense, was a representative for the entire world. And we would say, in modern English, we would say humanity. Uh, and humanity is created male and female. There's a reminder here that we are made in such a way that we fit together. We're made for one another. When we don't have that close relationship, according to chapter 2, when Adam didn't have Eve, there was something missing in his life. And so here in chapter 5, God comes back. He comes back to the basics. Remember in chapter 1 he said, uh, he made them male and female and told them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Because he had given them that ability by making them and making us male and female to fill uh, the earth. Now, one thing that's added here in chapter 2 is that he called them man or dime or humanity, however you want to render that in, in English. And so uh, it's a reminder that God still sees humanity as belonging to him. It's his stamp of ownership is still there. By the time we get to the end of chapter 4, we might wonder, has God given up? And chapter 5 reminds us that he has not given up. Verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his likeness, in his own image, and named himself. Now, if we've not read this before, one of the first things that jumps out at us is 130 years old. Uh, that's, that's pretty old to be having kids nowadays. Let's talk about that in just a moment, though. Right now, let's focus on the main thing in this verse. The main thing in this verse is the idea that when Adam had this son, whom he named Seth, this son was in his image and likeness. That answers an incredibly important question for anyone who's studying very carefully what's happening here at the beginning of Genesis. Because one of the questions is, when Adam and Eve sinned, did they lose the image and the likeness of God? Did they lose one of their greatest blessings? And there are some who would say that they did, that it was gone, and it was only brought back through Jesus Christ when he died on the cross to save us. But the book of Genesis makes it clear that the image of God was never lost that the stamp of God's ownership on a person, be they lost or saved in our terminology, the stamp of God's ownership on that person is always there. That was never lost. It wasn't lost by their sin, and it hasn't been lost by our sin either. If we ever think for just one moment that our sin has entirely cut us off from God, we're wrong. We're wrong. Every time God makes another baby, his stamp of ownership is on that little boy or that little girl. That child belongs to him. In the billions and billions who have lived since Adam and Eve, every 
single line. You see it. And so this verse really is very important. It's affirming the fact that God has not disowned us. Have you ever been around a family where somebody has been disowned? A son or a daughter has disappointed their parents and a father or a mother has said something like this, I don't have a son anymore. Or, she's not my daughter anymore. You know, when you hear something like that, it breaks your heart, but it tells you that there's some, there's some pretty deep pain back there for someone to say something like that. They sound cold and cruel to us, but if we stop and, and, and think about it, something went wrong somewhere for a parent to say that about their child. And there was an opportunity for God to say that, but he refused to do it. Jesus reveals God to us through the picture of a father in the New Testament whose son, we call him the prodigal son, really, in a way, disowns his father. He says, I wish you were dead so that I could have your inheritance and go what, do what I want to. And the father says, well, here, take it. And you go do what you want to. But the father didn't do that out of meanness or anger. He wasn't he wasn't um, disowning his son. In fact, the picture that painted for us in that parable is that the father then began a vigil. I see him standing at the end of the driveway, standing on the porch. Every day, every day, he walked outside and he looked down the road and he stood there for a few moments. And he said, I wonder if today will be the day that my son returns to me. And in the parable, eventually the son does return to the father. And it's a glorious uh, it's a glorious restoration that takes place. The son comes back thinking that he doesn't deserve to be a son anymore. He says, I know I, I shouldn't be your son. Make me a slave, make me a servant, I'll be happy with that. And the father says, no way, nothing doing. You are my son, you've always been my son, and I've been waiting for you to come back. That's the God who made heaven and earth. That's the God who formed Adam out of the dust of the uh, earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that's the God that we're reading about here. He does not give up on us. His stamp of ownership is on us. I read this week about a man named Q who was a soldier in Vietnam back in the 1960s. And while he was there, he met two missionaries. Uh, they were named Ed and Ruth Thompson. And uh, he would argue with Ed and Ruth about, uh, about prophecy, and they would come and preach on Sundays, and he would go to their worship services. It's kind of like made them. Uh, and then uh, he was there during the Tet Ascension in 1968. And when that was all over and done with, a lot of people were dead. And uh, Ed and Ruth Thompson were, were dead. They, they had been slaughtered. A lot of missionaries were killed uh, in all the violence. And he found their bodies. He did. He found them uh, embraced uh, and, and lying on the ground. And he tried to pull them apart and couldn't. But, but he found there with their, in their death embrace, if you will, was a Bible, a bloodstained Bible. And he took that Bible and he kept it. And he brought it home with him. And when he first got back, he started looking for the Thompson family so that he could give them the Bible. But you know how life goes. Uh, there's a lot to do, and the Bible got set aside and forgotten about for over 40 years. And recently, just within the last few years, he was moving and cleaning something out, and there was that Bible again, that bloodstained Bible. He said, I've got to find somebody in the Thompson family. So he got on the internet and he did. And uh, the Thompson family, in tears of joy, 
well, got that Bible back with that mark on it, that dried blood, that mark of ownership. That person belongs to me. God has put that mark of ownership that cannot be washed away on us. On the outline, let's write this down this morning. Despite our disobedience, despite our disobedience, we still bear the stamp of God's ownership. That's great news, isn't it? If you're here this morning and you've been wondering if God loves you, maybe you're going through some difficult things. I know how that is. I've been through a few myself. And I've often wondered, too, does God still love me? But when I open God's words and I read and I hear the voice of God's Spirit in my spirit, He affirms to me that, yes, God does still love us. We are still able to cry out to Him, I'm our Father. He is our Father. And the stamp of His ownership is on us. In a special way, for those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that God's Spirit Himself has taken up residence in our life as a seal of his ownership on our very heart. We are his. Look at verse 2 again. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. And when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his likeness. In his own image, he named him Seth. What was the blessing? He blessed them, it says. Well, what was the blessing? If you read this whole chapter, it's a genealogy. And it's clear by mentioning male and female, and then the genealogy, the blessing here is the blessing of having children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, the blessing of being a part of a family. This is one of the greatest things that God has shared with us. He has given us the power. He has shared with us the power to make life. Now, that's no small blessing. We may take it for granted because it happens so often. But it doesn't matter how often it happens. Even if we were to multiply the number of births on earth by a thousand, it would still be a miracle every single time. It would still be a blessing every single time. It would still be a blessing for every father and every mother, even though some don't realize it. It's one of the greatest blessings in all of the cosmos to share in the joy of creating life with God. He has shared that with us. He didn't have to do that. He proved in, back in Genesis chapter 2 that he could just take a little dirt out of the ground and make somebody. He proved back then that he could just reach into somebody's side and pull a little bit out and make somebody. And yet he gave us, he gave us the blessing of being a part of this process of life. What a joy. What a joy. And it doesn't matter how twisted we make it. It's still a blessing. I read about this week a, Florida, a judge in Florida it's kind of an unusual case that's been going on uh, for a couple of years now. There's this little 22-month-old baby and uh, two women and a man. And they've been arguing over this baby. Here's what happened. Two lesbians wanted to have a child. And they tried everything they could and it didn't work. And so they approached the, um, you're going to think I'm making this up, the hairdresser, a man uh, who's gay, and they said, would you help us out? We want to have a baby. And so he made his donation, and uh, one of them got pregnant. And they, they thought that he understood that that's all they wanted from him. All we need is your donation, and you ought to fix me. And at first, he seemed to be okay with that. But as time came for that baby to be born, guess what happened? That sense of connection, 
that sense of wanting to be a part of the blessing that God has given us overwhelms that man. And he came to those two women and he said, I have to be part of this baby's life. I can't just step back. And so it started a couple of years of wrangling. And so now, I don't know if it's the first time it's ever happened or not, but now in Florida there's a birth certificate for this 22-month-old that has, guess what? That's three parents written on that birth certificate. Now it's crazy. No child has three parents. You know, we, we can take this blessing that God has given us and twist it all out of shape and do all kinds of strange things to it. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's still a blessing. And God has not taken it away from us. He has given it to us to enjoy it, uh, even though we may um, do strange things with it. Number two, despite our failures, despite our failures, God still wants us to enjoy His blessings. What a wonderful God we serve. He still wants us to enjoy His blessings. In a way, that blessing is calling us back. There's that father waiting for the prodigal son. Waiting for the prodigal son to realize who has given him and her those blessings and to return to the father. Verse 4. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years and then he died. Uh, let's talk about this for a minute. 930 years. Woo! I guess that would be good. Uh, if I were going to live 930 years, I want a younger body to do it in. I know that. You know, I don't want to age to what most people are struggling with in their 90s and then go another 900 years in that. Okay? So I'm, I'm assuming this is stretched out. Uh, uh, over time, uh, health-wise, but what, what are we supposed to do with this? Some people look at this and they go, ah, oh, see, there's an, there's, there's an example of the fact that the Bible is just a bunch of parables and fables. Who could believe that somebody lived 930 years? Interesting thing, though. When you look back at all of the cultures in the ancient world, others have records of unusual lifespans in great antiquity as well. But what are we going to do with that? You can choose to believe it. You can choose not to. But we have these records from people in antiquity, not just the Bible, but others, that say that there was a time when people lived a long time, a lot longer than they do now. Some would say that the environment changed so radically with the flood, which we're about to look at here in the next few weeks, that it changed people's lifespans. You have to choose. I choose to believe that the Bible is true. I believe in it says that Adam lived 930 years, but he lived 930 years. I think that what's happening with humanity is that we're not evolving up. We are running down. We're not getting better. We're awaiting the day when Jesus comes back to stop this devolution that's taking place uh, all around us. Imagine that with me for just a moment. 930 years. I don't know what kind of word they use for it. I mean, you'd have to have something other than grandparent, right? And think about how many generations you would get to enjoy. You know, I see some of you in here bouncing your grandbabies on your knees, but you'd be bouncing your great-grandbabies and your great-great-grandbabies and your great-great-great-grandbabies and your great-great-great-great-great-grandbabies. And, you know, language breaks down at some point, and your wallet would be with all the pictures in it, you know? Look at my kids. 
the blessing. The blessing. A couple come to my office and struggle with their marriage. Over the last few years, I have developed uh, two things that I try to do. One is paint the ugliest picture I can of what life would look like if they allowed their marriage to fall apart. Especially when there are children involved. They just complicated. I mean, you know that already. The other thing that I try to do is paint as beautiful a picture out there with words of the blessing of having a family that's intact and having all those friendships come back to you. Well, all I have to do is look at the smiles on your faces. And I am seeing the blessing of God. Family truly is a blessing. Forget what the culture says. The culture is out to lunch on all of this stuff. This is where we need to go to find out what life is all about. And life is about, is about the blessing of God. The blessing of God is, is in the family thing. It's about family. It's so important that when we mess it up, it gives us other chances. And sooner or later, we get to the point where we say, now I see what this is all about. And this time, I'm going to hang on to this thing with all my might and get as much blessing as I can from what God wants to give me. So, Number three on the outline, despite the curse, that's the technical theological term that we use for the thing that happened back in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They call it the curse or the fall. The fall is what they did. The curse is what happened as a result of it. God cursed the earth because they disobeyed. So number three, despite the curse, God's blessing still depends on families. Church, never forget it. We live in a world that doesn't value family. Why? Because they don't value God. The two things go together. Now, let me quickly say this. Some of you sitting in here, you're not married. You say, well, okay, what should you leave me out? Or maybe you're married, you don't have any kids. And, and you're not going to have any kids. You say, all right, what should you leave me out? No, man. No, sir. I am not. You're a kid, aren't you? There's not a person in here who's not a kid. It's somebody. All of us are part of a family. All of us are part of this blessing. We all came from a set of parents. We all have the opportunity to share in this blessing. But there's more to it than that. Because Adam did have this other son named Abel, and he died. And he did have this other son named Cain, and Cain and his posterity just sort of faded away spiritually according to uh, what's happened. And we come back to this son, Seth. And Seth, in Seth, we come back to focusing on God and his blessing. And so this is not just about biology. This is not just about blood. There's something else happening here as well. Jesus, when he was beginning to teach, a lot of things began to happen that really frightened his family. Apparently his dad was uh, deceased by then. Joseph was gone, and he was just Mary and his brothers. And uh, perhaps his sisters. We don't know how many there were in the family before it was all over. But at some point, Mary and the brothers were so concerned about Jesus that they came looking for him because they thought he'd lost it. And they were going to bring him home. And Jesus, when he was told, hey, your mom and your, your brothers are out there looking for you because uh, they couldn't get to him, the crowd was so sick. And he said, my mother and my brothers are those who obey God's command. So Jesus said that as important as family is, and he's not saying the family's not important, as he died on the cross, he made sure that his mother was taken care of. 
So we don't want to misread what he's saying there. But he's also saying that there's this other family, the family of faith. And the New Testament we read that the offspring of Abraham are really those who have the faith of Abraham. What a great blessing that he is when our biological family and our faith family come together and they're the same. Nevertheless, we have both of these things happening. Bo Caldwell uh, is an author. She wanted to write a novel. Her mom kept telling her, you need to write about my parents. Their life was fascinating. Bo wasn't convinced. Her grandfather and grandmother had been missionaries in China back in the early part of the 20th century. And uh, Bo wasn't really living a life that was focused on God's time. She didn't really want to get into all of that. But eventually she uh, came across her grandfather's um, uh, journal that he had kept when he was in China for his family. He had written it for them. He wrote a lot of stuff about their experiences back in the early 1900s uh, as Christian missionaries in China, and she couldn't put it down. It was fascinating, the things that they experienced. She read stories of where her grandfather saw men uh, decapitated uh, for some reason or another, and where her grandmother had uh, helped people with um, serious health issues. It was very primitive. Uh, in China in the early 20th century, and, and they were there to share Christ, and, and it was, it, it was, uh, there was a lot of risk. There were a lot of unknowns, and she found herself absorbed in this journal, and she decided that she would write a novel about, that was based on her grandfather's life. And so Bo began to write, but she couldn't write about her grandfather's faith. You see, her grandfather's life all hinged on his faith. Everything he and his wife did was about the Lord Jesus Christ. They risked their lives for the gospel. And if they wrote, it just it never came out right. She couldn't imagine their faith. It sounded stilted. Then she found out she had breast cancer and she put the whole project aside for two years. During that two year period, she found herself in a position where she had to cry out to God for the first time in ways that she never had before. Some of you know what I'm talking about. 30 radiation treatments, chemotherapy, all the things that go with that, the questions, the wondering what's going to happen, where's God, does he care about me, does he love me, on and on and on it goes. And after that two-year period, when she'd come through all of that, she picked that project back up again, and she began to write. And now she was able to write. Now she was able to write about him because her faith was like his faith. And now she could write things that he would write. And they sounded right. She said this. She said, I had changed. I was no longer writing about my grandfather's faith. I was writing about my own. Somewhere along the way, we have to make faith our own. Can't be our parents. Can't be our grandparents' faith. They've done all that they can for us. We'll do all that we can for our children and our grandchildren. But somewhere along the way, we have to appropriate this faith family for ourselves. Have you done that? Perhaps there's somebody here this morning who has never made God their own God. Maybe you're just here because your parents knew God or your grandparents knew God. And it's just the thing to do. If you've never taken that step to make a personal relationship with God, would you bow your heads with me for a moment? If you know you need to do that, the Bible makes it very plain what we can do when we're ready to come and enter the, the family of faith. Because listen, just because our parents and grandparents are believers doesn't mean we're saved. 
Yes, it's a joy to be a part of their family, but at some point we have to be born again as believers. And to do that, in Romans chapter 10, it says that, first of all, we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Our, our belief, our faith, is oriented toward what Jesus did. He died on the cross for our sins. He was raised again to prove that he brings a new life. And we have to make him Lord of our lives. Romans 10, 9 says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved. Have you done that? Have you confessed with your mouth Jesus is Lord? Have you professed your faith publicly? If not, I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. We're going to sing a song and just wait for a few moments and give you a chance to come up here to me or someone standing with me and pray and say, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Become a part of the family of faith. During this time, if you need to be baptized, if you need to join the church, or if you just need to come and get on your knees and pray to the Lord, I invite you. Let God's Spirit speak to your heart and move you. Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, that seal of ownership, that mark that we belong to you. What a great blessing. We want everyone to have your Holy Spirit in their life. We want everyone to know that they belong to Christ. We want everyone to be sure that they'll spend eternity with you. For anyone in here now who's not sure about that, God, right now we pray that your Spirit would contend with them and open their hearts, break down the barriers. For those of us who need to make other decisions, God, we pray that we would say yes to you in these moments. Always. Trusting you as our Father, the one who wants to bless us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. You talk that way.